Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, and it says there, and you or start with verse 4, it says, You have not resist, yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My sons, or my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So this is a, a direct reference if you go back into the Old Testament in the Proverbs chapter 3. In verse 1, and think about Solomon as he's writing to his sons uh, in that uh, verse. So go back with me there really quick, and I want to break down um, what is said there in the Old Testament. We'll look at some of these Old Testament words that are utilized within the context and kind of compare them back against what we see in the New Testament. Proverbs chapter 3. And we'll pick it up at verse 5. He says uh, there, Solomon, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health and to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increased. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall not or shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Even as a father, the uh, as a father, the son in whom he delights, and so you see here uh, this same or similar uh, statement given by Solomon regarding chastening, and so in the context there in the Old Testament we see three corrective words utilized to relate to the corresponding words in the book of Hebrews. First, we see uh, chastening with this Hebrew word for musar. And this is the expression of operating in a way that lines up to God's standard of righteousness through word or action. And so this is comparable to what we see for paideia or for child training in the New Testament. Now we'll look at it just a couple places where this is utilized in the Old Testament just to give you a flavor of how this word musar is used. But go back with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 2. And it says there, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his, state, his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. And know ye this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his stretched out arm. And so here you see him uh, leading through and looking back over the history of what has happened to Israel. Not talking to the children because they've not been able to be exposed to God 
leading them through and training them as a nation, as it were, as children. But here, to those ones that have been able to see it, he speaks to them. Uh, and so this potential uh, actions uh, uh, for failing to heed the uh, Jehovah's commands. Uh, over in Job chapter 5 and verse 17, we see it used as uh, assumed correction from Job uh, for God or from God by Eliphaz. And so go with me over to Job chapter 5 and verse 17. Now you could title a good part of Job where his friends are coming and giving him so-called advice with friends like these who needs enemies <laughs> because they are really giving Job a hard time and they don't understand the full context of what's going on here. And they're, uh, God really goes and, and chastises them a little bit later for the way that they're talking to Job and telling him what's going on with them because they're totally wrong, right? Job has not done anything wrong to warrant this, but God is utilizing these things within his life uh, for his own purpose. Job chapter 5 and verse 17 and let's pick it up in, in verse 13. It says there, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the forward he carrieth headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope in the noonday as in the night. But he saveth the poor from the sword, for, uh, from their mouth, and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor hath hope, and iniquity stopped her mouth. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, despise not the chastening of the Almighty. And so a right thing is said here by Eliphaz, right? This is generally true concerning the Lord. Happy is the man that is chastised or child trained by God. And yet this is not, is <laughs> to discipline, this is not what's happening with Job here. He's wrong. Uh, and so you see that one in this context. Then over in Psalm chapter 50 and verse 17, we see this word Musar here used as uh, despised by those that are wicked. And so what does it say there in the New Testament and in Proverbs? He tells us not to despise the chastening of the Lord. And we'll, we'll get into what that means uh, here in a bit. But Psalm chapter 50 and verse 17. And let's pick this one up at... Uh, verse 14 it says offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble I will deliver thee and thou shalt be uh, shall glorify me but unto the wicked God has said what hast thou to do to declare my statutes or that thou shouldest uh, take my or that thou shouldest take my covenant uh, in thy mouth seeing thou hatest instruction and cast my words behind thee. And so these wicked individuals are of this way. The, the words that are there to be known or the things that are being known of God, they cast those away. We talked about Romans chapter 1 in the first hour, right? These, these Gentiles had the opportunity to have an experiential relationship to God. And what did they say? We don't want that. We'll exchange that for, uh, as it were, the lie that man can live apart from God. And so uh, you see that. But here, uh, despise, they despise instruction or despise uh, this idea of, of uh, living up to God's standard uh, for righteousness. Now, we also see in that uh, context of Proverbs, another word used uh, with regard to uh, correction. 
And it's uh, relatable to the word we see in the New Testament, aleko, which means to reprove. Uh, this is the Hebrew word uh, tokatha, which means to state one's position in a matter, whether in defense or in judgment. And then lastly, we see uh, the word yakath, yakach used to uh, take corrective action based on a judgment rendered in a matter. And so uh, similar to paideia, but a little bit different. But go back, back, go back with me to Second uh, Samuel chapter 2. Second Samuel chapter 7, I'll get it right yet, in verse 14. And so in the New Testament, we actually have two words in that uh, verse 5 utilized for paideia, which is the word for child training. But we see two different words used in the Old Testament, which is, is very interesting. Uh, but in Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14... And pick it up in verse 12. It says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of the, thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he, commit, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with a rod of men and with stripes of the children of men. And so you see this idea here of physical punishment coming along, uh, and it relates to that word for child training that we see in, in the book of Hebrews. And so as you can see, this does lend credibility to what he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 being punishment. But what does he say concerning that punishment? Don't despise it. And so we'll, we'll uh, elaborate on that here in a bit. The Hebrew saints are stated to have forgotten this exhortation that we see below. And so you see my footnote, the Hebrew saints were caused to forget. And so this idea of forgotten here is not just uh, you and I are going along and something has escaped our notice. We've actively forgotten something else. This is a passive verb. And so something else has caused us to forget. And so as you look at these Hebrew saints in the context what would you say? We've talk about, talked about in the first hour the fact that they're going through different things, right? And the things that they're going through have captivated their attention to where they've forgotten this exhortation that could be known if you went back to the Old Testament and say, my son, uh, despise not chastening. These things that you're going through are for a time. So go back with me over there to Hebrews chapter uh, 12 and verse 5. In my mind, I keep wanting to say verse, or chapter 5 and verse 12, but I won't confuse you. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. And so as we're looking at this, again, this word for forgotten comes from our word eklanthanomai, which means the failure to recall something due to other things dominating one's attention. And again, this is a passive verb. And so as you read this, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, right? Then we talk about last hour how we are all legitimate born ones out from God as a result of the new birth. And so as <laughs> things are happening in our life, we know, again, this is not like Jonathan Edwards, sinner sitting in the hands of an angry God, and you make one misstep and he's just zap. He's going to 
knock you dead. No, that's not this. He's dealing with you as a son to bring you into a corrective state. Um, the response of the Hebrew, uh, Hebrews to the current circumstances had caused them to forget God's ability to utilize situations for them to grow. And so as you think about it, uh, I don't know. They probably know whether God was punishing them or not. But I do know one thing. Everything that God was doing in their life was working together for their good to bring them to a place where God desired for them to be. Uh, And you see that here. Now, this word for exhortation, you have forgotten the exhortation, comes from our word for uh, paraklesaos. It's, uh, the Old Testament scriptures are stated to provide this comfort or exhortation. So I want to look at a couple different uh, places where we see this word for exhortation utilized that are pertinent to our study here. Uh, but over in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, we see Old Testament scripture being utilized to provide uh, comfort or exhortation. And we can pick it up at verse 1. He says there, Now we who are strong ought to bear bear the infirmities or the weaknesses of those that are without strength and not just to please ourselves. Now, I can't remember who it was. I think it's Brother Dan Brake that's going to talk about uh, how to utilize your liberty correctly. Right. And we can get in a place where everything that we do in this Christian life just becomes about us. Right. And we're not looking and and wondering how the things that we do affect other people. And there are certainly instances where people see that things affect other people and they still do it anyway. Right. And that's what he's dealing with here. Are you at a place spiritually that these believers were that what's more important to you is what you want to do? Are you utilizing that liberty properly? And I won't try to steal your thunder there, Dan. I don't know where you're going with it, but we'll see uh, that you utilizing liberty is an opportunity to honor God, not an opportunity for you to honor yourself and certainly uh, not an opportunity to stumble other saints. In verse two, he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. And so what is your focus When I'm utilizing my liberty, I want to utilize it so that others can be built up, not that I can build up myself. Verse three, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is, uh, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached uh, thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so you see the things that are written and done in the Old Testament provide hope for the believer in the present. Why is that? Because we know that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. You see it over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Right. Uh, I often point back to uh, and Brother Don dealt with this a little bit in the uh, his study and looking at the Israelites. Right. How did God utilize the Israelites to show something about himself? He said he was going to bring them out and he did it with a mighty hand and it impacted all of those around them. Because uh, what do you see when they come into Jericho? We've heard about your God <laughs> and what he did in, in Israel or in uh, Egypt. And we want no <laughs> parts of that. Right. 
because that God that said he's going to do what he's going to do did it and did it in a big way. So that there's a big board that's a, a billboard, excuse me, that's uh, graphically demonstrates his power. And then you could look at um, uh, Psalm chapter 69 as a little bit of a cross reference for what's written there in uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse four. Uh, but let's continue forward. We see that uh, comfort originates from God. And so this word paracleseos is utilized concerning God and the uh, comfort that he provides also over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4. Now this is a verse, when I see believers that are, are going through something, that I often pull out. <laughs> Especially when you're dealing with believers that are grieving because there's not a lot of words that you can say that's going to make anyone feel better, right? If you've lost someone that's close to you, it's just a tough process, right? But what we understand through this is that God is the one that provides comfort or consolation. And that when you've gone through something and you've experienced that comfort that comes from God, it's not just for you. It's for you to utilize and provide to other people who might be going through similar situations that you're going through. And that's what we see in this context. Uh, pick it up at verse 3. It says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort of with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. You see where it comes from? Why do we emphasize and direct so much in our teaching? And if you've been around any of the people that teach in these circles, always direct, uh, pointing to in Christ truth. And where does your power come from? Where does your strength come from? Where does your comfort we see here come from? It comes from you interacting with your father and you can only do it through your position in Christ. And so very important to understand that and not just for ourselves. Again, you have the opportunity that when you've gone through something, you can comfort other saints. Right. You see a, a believer that's just lost someone and they they're really having a hard time with it. They're having a hard time accessing the grace that's in Christ. And you can come alongside them and not just sympathize, you can empathize, put your arm around them and say, hey, it's going to be okay. I've gone through this as well, and I utilize who I was in Christ to provide me comfort to get through this. And so the God of all comfort, he provides it all. Uh, we also see that the knowledge that God is training the believer uh, as a child uh, appeals to the reasoning of the believer as a son. Uh, and so uh, as we're looking back to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 and thinking about this idea of comfort here, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, he says, you've forgotten this exhortation, which is addressed to you as sons. Uh, we understand that this, this uh, reasoning, again, is coming from the believer being a true son. Now, uh, the potential is also uh, there to see different responses uh, to chastening. And so in this context, we see it utilized that uh, you, can, you can respond unfavorably to being trained as a child by God the Father, particularly when it relates to discipline. Uh, 
Now, I'll continue to use myself as an example because I don't want to call anyone else out. Uh, but again, when I was disciplined by my father, I'm going to stop picking on you. <laughs> when I was in the Air Force, <laughs> when I, there was one time, now we got disciplined corporately as a, a unit all the time, but there was only one time when I myself got in trouble <laughs> in basic training. And this was as a result of having said something to one of my uh, flight mates that I probably shouldn't have said. But in the moment, I won't go all the way into the story. It was a, a wild thing. But my, I didn't know that our technical, uh, our training instructor happened to be right there in the room <laughs> when I said what I said. So he comes marching out. He's about as tall as Kelvin back there. And he said, and, and who said that? <laughs> And I said, uh, well, it was me, sir. And what did he do? On your face. <laughs> Push-up time. So this is their way of discipline in the military, not just up, down, up, down, up, down, so many push-ups. Down, and you hold the position for a number of seconds so your arms are shaking, and you, you think about it again before you do that the next time. And so very strong discipline, Right? And I didn't get up and say to my, my uh, training instructor, thank you. <laughs> I really needed that discipline, <laughs> right? <laughs> that was not my response. My response was one of I probably did deserve that, but at the same time, it, it, it wasn't a favorable response to what was happening, right? And this is how we can respond to God when God is dealing with us or disciplining us. Your first response to the flesh is not going to be, thank you, Father, for letting me go through this situation. This is exactly what I needed in this moment. No, you're going to be a little discontent, disconcerted. It's not going to be a favorable response. And this is how the Hebrew saints were responding as well. What does he say? My son, do not regard lightly. This idea of regarding lightly, we're going to come back to here in a minute, uh, the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. And so you see two of these responses that are potential of an individual to discipline. Now this word for, uh, I think it's translated in the King James Version, despise, not the chastening. Here in the uh, NASB, I get it a little bit closer, it says to regard lightly the training of God. This word comes from our uh, Greek word, allegoreo. You hear that word, uh, oligarch, in a, a few different English words, but it's literally to make small. It is rendering of things or of something as irrelevant by failing to render the proper weight. Isn't that easy to do when you're talking about discipline? I'm not going to get the proper weight to this discipline for what it is and for who's doing it to me. I'm going to say, I don't like this. I'm going to cross my arms and I'm going to stomp my feet until I get my way. Isn't that the response? It sounds funny. We see children respond this way. It looks funny, right? When they're throwing a fit because they haven't gotten their way. But that's what we do as believers. When we respond to God in a situation that's not going the way that you expect it to and Spiritually, you stomp your feet and cross your arms and you hold your breath until you get your way, right? Not understanding that God is utilizing this situation to bring you to where he desires for you to be. 
what is the other response? We see that you can faint at this idea, and it comes from our word ekluamai, which means to disengage due to the stress or pressure of a situation. You ever had something happen and you just check out <laughs> mentally, you're done, I'm not dealing with this anymore? That is a possible response that we can have to the child training of God. Hopefully that's not the case. This is how the Hebrew saints were responding. In verse 6, we see that the Lord chastened those whom he loves. For those whom the Lord loves, he child trains, he rears, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Um, I want to let you guys know there's not a person in this room, I don't think, that's sinless since they became saved, right? <laughs> so there's not a person in this room that at a time or two hasn't needed for God to correct your action and to get you back to a place where you're relating to him in the right way through your position in Christ. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. That's the grace of God in operation. Now we can go all the way the other way with it and get to where uh, Paul uh, cites there in Romans in, at the end of Romans chapter 5 leading into chapter 6. And we can become as ones that say, hey, we've been given grace by God. Let's go on sinning. We got a, a license to go on. And I'm going to let Brother Dan deal with that as to how you will work out that situation. Uh, the earthly or child training of earthly fathers, we've kind of touched upon before, but we'll touch on it here a bit again. Top of page four. We see that child training is part of the experience of rearing one from birth to maturity in a normal fatherly relationship. And so the earthly father provides for the family's physical needs of food, clothing, and shelter. Uh, children and women, as uh, it relates, and I know society tells us a lot of different things concerning genders and, and what women can do and what men can do. Traditionally, as it speaks, a father is there to provide safety and shelter for their family. And this is not something that you would expect as you look out in the world system and see all of these problems that are arising, it strikes me that no one wants to deal with the root cause of how many fathers are missing in a lot of these homes. But, oh, it's no big deal. Everybody can do the job that a father can do. Well, that's, that's opposite to what scripture would tell us. Fathers are very necessary uh, in homes. I don't want to get going off too far on the hobby horse there. But we do see that children and women are uh, considered to be vulnerable. And you can go over to James. We won't go there now. We want to keep moving. But James chapter 1 and verse 27 tells uh, how to take care of these children and women uh, that are in those vulnerable positions. Now, the potential uh, downside of earthly fathers, we see over in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9, where it says, furthermore, we have had earthly fathers to discipline us or child train us, and we gave them respect. Shall we not much more be subject to the father and live? Uh, for they disciplined us for a, sh a short time, as it seemed best to them, but his dis or he is disciplining us for our good uh, that we might share in his holiness. And so earthly fathers are instructed, <laughs> we see in scripture, not to provoke children to wrath. And so why is that the case? Because a lot of times <laughs> when fathers... Uh, our child training or raising their own children, what do they do? We poke at them, right? We do things that make them upset. And I say we, 
You guys probably don't do that, but I've done that a time or two, right? As I'm doing things, again, it's not with the intent of what's best for this child. It's what's best for me in the moment. And that thing might make that child angry. And then they end up getting upset. And then you discipline them because they're upset. That's not the right way to go about conducting uh, earthly fatherhood. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And proper instruction is provided here for how the father should interact with the child. And likewise, how, how the child should interact with the father. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. It says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. Now, as you go back into the Old Testament, it's a lot different than what was going on in the New Testament, right? Because if you had an unruly child in the Old Testament, what were you to do? Anyone know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's in the back. <laughs> oh, you would take them out and have a, a rock concert in some some instances, right? And we're not talking about guns and roses. <laughs> we're talking about rocks and stones. Um, but this is not how we're conducting ourselves now. What does it say in verse 4? And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction from the Lord. And so you see here this child training or child rearing that comes directly from the Lord. In the Lord. That in is very important. You see it occur over and over again. How are you going to give your children proper instruction? You're going to properly relate to God the Father, and He's going to show you through the Holy Spirit how you should deal with your child in every instance. And we won't be provoking them to wrath, right? We won't be. Oh, just go and clean up the whole house because I don't feel like doing it. Right? Or these kind of things. I'm just giving examples. This is nothing I've ever done. But <laughs> that, that could be something someone would do. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21 is similar. And we need to start moving if we're going to cover the whole uh, paper. Uh, we won't go there. Uh, but back over as you think back to, and, and we'll close out here as far as uh, this part of the paper is concerned. Uh, and we don't need to go back to Hebrews 12, 9, but you see that child training from earthly fathers is subject to their own standards, right? As much as we're relating to God the Father and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us through our position in Christ, you're going to get it right and you're going to be a good father. But when you start going back to what I want to do and what makes me feel good after the flesh, not so much, right? And so we see um, also this process and purpose of child training and, and chastening. We want to uh, look at that uh, point four. Child training as an overriding process of maturing a believer. And so this is the purpose for God and what God is doing with us. As I say, point A to point Z, think back to Philippians chapter one and verse six. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. From beginning to end, it's not us. Has nothing to do with you or I's ability. Has nothing to do with what you can do for God in this moment. It's what God has called you for and chosen you for. And you living in light of who you are in Christ. 
And as you're doing that, you're going to be very successful. Now, God can use a believer uh, to act as spiritual fathers, and we see this in several different places. But one in particular that we looked at earlier, and we'll relate to this again, is with Paul. Uh, we see him called a spiritual father over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. And so he talks about, and we're looking at the other side of this with the potential uh, that these other people that the Corinthians were listening to being deemed as uh, pedagogues or one that they can look to for instruction. He says, you can have all of those that you want, but guess what? You only have one spiritual father. There's one that brought you to Christ. And as we think about Paul, he was certainly this for these uh, Corinthian saints. Pick it up and just in verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. Uh, This word for uh, children uh, is really our word for offscouring here or, or ones that have come from another. And so. Verse 15, he says, for if you were to have countless tutors or this word for pedagogues in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And so the gospel was the mechanism utilized by Paul to become the spiritual father of these individuals. And so who is the ultimate father? God, the father, of course. But he's utilizing Paul in this capacity to teach the Corinthian saints uh, what they need to know. And so the, um, you see that there. Over in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 22, we see that Paul's relationship to Timothy was one of a spiritual father to a born one. And we could certainly dive into that a lot more, but we just don't have the time for that here, and it's not our purpose. But Philippians chapter 2 and verse 22, and pick it up at verse 19. And he says there, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know the proof or or you know of his proven worth that he served me in furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. And so uh, very beautiful as you look at different parts of scripture. And again, we could go to several and look at this relationship between Paul and Timothy. But it is one of a a spiritual father, one that brought him to Christ and one that is uh, he's trusted of Paul to do everything that he needs to do. Right. And he knows that he's going to take the things that he's instructed him in and use it in real time. And so you see this uh, uh, relationship that they have together. Uh, Verse verse 22. Oh, I I read verse 22. (laughs) So moving on. Uh, First uh, Thessalonians chapter two and verse 11. We say that Paul's interaction with the Thessalonian saints was emblematic of how a spiritual father should interact with offspring. So go with me over there. Now, we've elaborated a lot of times on the uh, interesting nature of this relationship between Paul and the Thessalonian saints because he was there but a short time, right? Maybe over a month. 
And in that short time, he established a very deep bond with these Thessalonian saints. Now, that's not normative to human behavior, right? We take a long time to develop trust in relationships with other people, right? That's, that's kind of normally how it works. But here you see a, a guy that came and gave them the gospel. They believed. And then you see him giving instruction for how to live for a, a little bit over a month. And them taking this information in and actually utilizing it. And so uh, I know for all of the teachers in this room, there is no greater joy than something that you've taught from Scripture taking hold in the life of another person. You see a, a great thanks to the Father that he was able to utilize you in that instance for people to know something, right? And this is how Paul is here as he talks about the Thessalonian saints. Pick it up in verse 7. He says there, uh, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own child, having thus a fond affection for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Verse nine, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we uh, proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we have behaved towards your, you believers. Verse 11, just as you know now, or know how, we uh, were exhorting and encouraging and imploring uh, each one of you as a father with his own child. You see what a beautiful relationship they can have spiritually there. Now, these uh, uh, three things pointed out here uh, from Paul with regard to how he conducted himself among them. Uh, this word for exhorted pops up again. Again, it's the act of coming alongside of another to provide words of consolation, uh, like, uh, like experience or perspective in order to help them in their current situation. Have you ever been able to do that for another saint? Right? They're going through something and you can just come alongside of them and be that person that provides encouragement to them in a circumstance. Uh, this comfort, again, originates from God the Father. We saw that over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. And the comfort is disseminated from ones who have experienced tribulation to others. Again, we saw that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4. Now, not only did he exhort them or, or comfort them, we see another word for comfort. Uh, and this one really has the idea of motivating. And so I would translate it like this. The provision of uh, inspirational words pertinent to another situation or state of mind to call them to action. Right. And so not only is it just you coming up and putting your arm around someone, it's, it's more like in sports. Right. Not everyone in here has played sports. I'm sure you can relate to the, the topic loosely here as I bring it up. But what's, what happens when you're down by a lot of points and you go into the locker room? Does the coach go in there and just say, well, it's over. <laughs> Let's pack up. We might as well not even come out the second half. It's over. We give up. No. You go in there and you try to fire the team up. You tell them what's going on, what they're not doing right, and how they can go about doing it better in the second half. That's how it works. And so this same thing can happen with believers from one believer to another. Let them know their situation. This is the current state. 
This is what we need to do. This is how we're going to get there. And so you have this opportunity as believers. Uh, we see this word used, uh, and I want to not, not land on all of these, but over in, uh, since we're close here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, uh, Paul uh, used it to encourage the Thessalonian saints uh, to act in this way toward one another. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse 14. And we'll pick it up at verse 12. Oh, go back one verse. And he gives them the instruction here to use that first word, uh, parakaleo, for, for comfort in verse 11. So he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are also doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their uh, work. Live in peace with one another. Verse 14. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak. Be patient with all men. And so specifically here, he points out this group of people that are faint hearted or they're of little soul, as it were. You know, we have a lot of people in churches that are at different places in their spiritual walk. Right. We have some people that are just naturally uh, geared toward the emotion. And when situations happen, it's not good. Right. They have a very emotional response. And if you came at them and didn't acknowledge where they were and how they're, they're uh, living in that moment, you might cause that person to go the other way rather than giving them true encouragement. But this idea of being able to tell them what's going on and inspire them into action, you do it out of your flesh, it's going to be bad. Right? You do it in the spirit and it's going to be good because you're going to have the proper uh, use of the fruit of the spirit to direct exactly what that person needs in that moment. And so Paul is encouraging them to do that here. And this is also what he did uh, with the Thessalonian saints uh, when he came to them, as we saw in chapter two. And then the last thing back to first uh, Thessalonians chapter two that we see from Paul is in verse 12. And so as a father acting in the place uh, that God has posted him uh, toward these Thessalonian saints. He not only comforted them, motivated them, but he also charged them. Or really here is our word for testify, but pick it up in verse 12. He says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom uh, and glory. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when we you received when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Uh, now, this word for um, uh, charging was actually in verse 11, uh, and it was translated here in Ploring in the NASB. Uh, but it has this idea of uh, it's from our word martyreo, which means being a witness. Right. And so you can go through things and testify to other people because you've gone through them. It's used often of the disciples. Right. And what they saw concerning the Lord. Now, 
these people didn't know and weren't there to see what they saw, but they trusted that the word that they said was true, right, concerning the Lord's resurrection. Uh, and so in the same way, uh, we can witness to uh, individual believers and in circumstances that they're going through, and Paul did this for the Thessalonian saints. Now, uh, John also gave instruction uh, to the Ephesian saints as a result of being their spiritual father. So as you think of uh, spiritual fathers, uh, John uh, spoke in this way too. Uh, go with me over to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. And John often throughout this book uses this little moniker, and we could have went to several more places to, to look at this, but he, he says, my little born ones, or he addresses them as born ones, ones that he's led uh, to believe and ones that he's, he's leading at this current time. In verse 1, it says, my little children, I am writing these things to you that you may sin not. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours alone or only, but also for the, those of the whole world. Um, people often talk about uh, witnessing or testifying to the unsaved. There is only really one thing that we can tell them, right? They need this relationship that we have with God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the thing that they need to hear. They need to hear that there's a Savior that died on behalf of them. And guess what? We already have that Savior, right? And John related to them as born ones. Why? Because they believed these facts concerning the gospel and understood uh, um, the re relationship to God as a result of that. Uh, top of page five. We have 10 minutes. Is that right? My eyes are getting bad as I get older. Eight and a half? Eight and a half? Oh, no. <laughs> wow. There's a lot of play, a lot of long ways to go. Okay, uh, let's try to wrap up here. Uh, John states at the top of page five, the roles of the believers as born ones, and when we went there, First uh, John chapter 3 and verse 18, John encourages the Ephesian saints to love in action rather than words, uh, and he does that to them as a father to born ones. I'm trying to see where I'm going to land and um, close this out. Uh, John explains characteristics of spiritual fathers, and we see that in First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 13. You guys have all of this here, and this is why we do these notes, so that <laughs> if we get to a place where we can't close out, guess what? You can go back and study if you want to. Um, scripture, again, can be utilized as an instrument of child training, as we see uh, over in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Uh, and then point B, uh, child training is as a disciplinary mechanism of the father. Uh, again, we touched on it earlier. Here's a little bit more detail uh, to that, how God can utilize uh, individuals as, as far as a disciplinary aspect of it. And I want you to know, just as God can utilize uh, believers to be spiritual child trainers, in scripture, he also, in a couple of instances, used people as instruments of his, his uh, chastisement. And so we see Paul delivering uh, individuals over to Satan. And you see a believer can come to a place where he's ensnared as well by Satan 
uh, and that's over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25. Now, the last part, and we want to land here, and I'm going to spend just a little bit of time here, what time I have left. We see that child training as a whole is designed to bring the believer into maturity. And so remember, uh, the verse that we looked at earlier there with Brother Don is, uh, the father bestowed love upon each believer to be called a born one of God. I'm taken by that simple statement there. If God wrote nothing else in Scripture, well, be some more that you need to write, but that's that's very important. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called born ones of God. What gives any of us the right to be called a born one of God as opposed to anyone else in the world? Do you guys bring anything to the table that uh, causes that to happen for you? Maybe it's just me. I looked in the mirror a few times and I say, man, I don't I don't deserve any of this. Right. But God calls us his born ones. And because of that, he raises us from beginning to end as children and provides all that we need. The father marked off the boundaries. And as I look at this, sometimes things don't always land like you wanted them to. I think I should have hit on this a little bit earlier. But over in Romans chapter eight, we see that the father marked off the boundaries around the believers lives with the intent of conforming us to the image of his son. Go with me over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And as you're turning there, think about the fact of child training fitting all into this structure. And I've alluded to this a couple times as we uh, have thought about it before. But here we'll we'll hit upon it. Now, uh, pick it up in verse 26. Now, through the chapter... uh, Paul is really explaining how the Holy Spirit is utilizing daily operation of the believer to get you to where God wants you to be. There is nobody in this room that has believed the facts of the gospel that is operating and being well-pleasing to God without being utilized of the Holy Spirit. He is so essential. We think about the Father, we think about the Son all the time, but the Holy Spirit is the one that's driving you to do the work right now. And so think about that as you're, you're reading this. In verse 26, it says, and In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how, we t- uh, how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, he who searches the hearts knows what, uh, what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. He also predestinated us to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That word for uh, predestinated, bad translation. It really means... He marked off the bounds beforehand. Pro horizo. You see, hear the word for horizon there? Pro before. He marked off borders beforehand around your life. And what does this ensure? That you're going to be conformed to the image of God. So that when we start going our way and we take grace as a license to do whatever we want to do and we start diverting away from what the will of God truly is, guess what? 
you get too far out there and God's got to bring you back. We saw it in 1 Corinthians, right, over in uh, chapter 11. You continue to bump up against God's will, bump up against God's will, and eventually that's where discipline comes into play, right? He's got to. He, he, he can't let you, if you had a child who's running out into traffic, you can't just let him go, right? We have to deal with that child to get him back to where he's supposed to be and into safety, into conformity with where he needs to be. And just the same, God the Father has to deal with us so that we ultimately will, every single one of us, will be conformed to the image of his son. And we saw that over in 1 John chapter 3 uh, in verse 1. Uh, God sometimes uses saints to help uh, form Christ within the believer. We see that over in Galatians chapter uh, 4 and verse 19 where Paul says, My little children of whom I travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. He seemed like somebody to me. I don't know other people who was, as you're reading this, he was at his wit's end with these Galatian saints, right? They're doing the exact opposite of what they've been taught to do and how they've been taught to live. And Paul is, as parents, you can get this way. You've told kids over and over and over and over, this is what you should do. And you see them doing the opposite. You're at your wit's end with them, right? Uh, and Paul is dealing with them that way. I don't want to go there. We need to, to close out, but you can look at that one on your own time. Uh, the overall process of child training guides the believer through maturity with the ultimate goal of looking like Christ inside out. And so why does Paul say until Christ be formed in you? Because there's a potential that Christ can be formed within you. And when Christ is formed within you, guess what you're going to look like on the outside? You're going to look like Christ, right? And so Paul can say, put on Christ as an outward garment, right? Like you guys all got up and put on your clothes today. You can put on Christ to where it looks like him in the form of your actions and those things that you do. Why? Because you're properly plugged in to where you are at the right hand of God in Christ. And so that should be all of our focus. And so today we've looked at uh, several words that relate to this idea of child training, all of them having the idea of rearing children, and all of them relating to what God the Father is doing in the life of the believer. He started a work in you, and he's going to finish it. He's marked off boundaries around your life, and he's not going to let you go outside of those. Now, we in our human nature always want to butt up against authority, right? That's part of the flesh. You see things that you can't have and you want to go toward it. That's our human nature. But in our new nature, in which, in which we've been born into a nature that you can access in Christ that allows you to be pleasing to him, when we're locked in there, it's not going to be that way. And so we we saw the difference between general child training or child rearing and discipline. And I hope that everyone's able to come away from this with an understanding that all child training is not discipline. God is not just sitting here beating you into oblivion because you're not doing what he wants you to do. Right. I don't know if everyone's all seem old enough. I know I'm 40, so (laughs) It was before my time. They must have been teaching this, but Jonathan Edwards in, in school. 
this uh, message that he preached that was so fire and brimstone-ish that people were clinging to the seats because they didn't want to fall into hell? Is that the kind of God that we're dealing with? Is that the kind of God that you want to serve? I can affirm to you that is not the kind of God we have. We have a loving God, a happy God, as Pastor Dave pointed out, that does everything that we saw in, first, uh, in Romans chapter 8 for your good, right? These things are to bring you into conformity to the image of Christ. And then the purpose and method of, of uh, child training, we've seen that uh, God utilizes these circumstances in the lives of the believer to form you into what he desires you to be. And so uh, hopefully I've done it justice. This is a, a large study that uh, could in the future go a lot of different ways. I've already seen one just uh, listening to Pastor Dave's message last night. But uh, hopefully this is something that you guys can also take and, and be able to be enriched by. And my uh, whole purpose was to be uh, provide enough information that Steve would be proud. And so <laughs> hopefully I did it. All right, let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll take a break. Father, we're so grateful for this day and uh, so grateful for your son, Jesus Christ. Um, so grateful that you've given us so great salvation that is not just the mere belief of the things that your son accomplished on our behalf. The, it's the belief in those things and, and what they carry over to in our present salvation. And uh, the fact that in the future, those same works are going to cause us to be completely saved. And so we look forward to that day. May we be ones that uh, live with our feet on the ground, but with our minds in the heavenlies, um, from whence we wait for the return of your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.